Amber Love. Welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock from AmberUnmasked.com. You can pick up my mystery novels from the Sarah Weathers Mystery Series. The first one is Cardiac Arrest. The second one is Full Body Manslaughter. And the third one, Miscarriage of Justice, will be out sometime this year. So you can um, find out more at AmberUnmasked.com or just go to Amazon or Barnes & Nobles and you should be able to find them. You can also sponsor my work and, you know, things like the effort it takes to make this show at patreon.com slash amberunmasked. So joining me today, um, back on the show, he was here quite a while ago, um, is author and dear friend of mine, Tom Pluck, Thomas Pluck, if you are looking up his books, uh, while uh, we discuss his latest book, Bad Boy Boogie from Down and Out Books, and we're just going to talk about the writing process and all that other kind of stuff. So um, hopefully there won't be any major spoilers, but we're going to get into the details of the book a bit. And some of that does include some violence and sexual violence, so just consider that a warning. So Tom, welcome back. It's great to be back. Love talking with you. So yeah, this is, I mean, we talked quite a while ago, but we talk on Twitter all the time. Um, we've had an interesting week, year so far. Um <laughs> in 2017 um, here in America. It's been interesting. So I, I have done a lot more reading in order to try to ignore the world. But then this past week, I uh, I basically like, you know, worked on my stuff and then turned on C-SPAN for the other half of the day and uh, pretty much drove myself insane. So, <laughs> so I've read a, whole, a lot more books this year than I did last year. And Bad Boy Boogie just totally blew me away because I've read some, you know, hardcore noir books, you know, from other friends of ours with violence. And this book was, even with the violence that's in it, it, it was, I, I called it smooth. I'm like, the, the transitions from scene to scene are smooth. Nobody feels um, too unbelievable. Like, you have... Uh, you have all these different characters from New Jersey and you have the this prison scenes. So you've got like trans women in the book and you've got these, you know, burly toxic masculine men in the book. And then you've got, um, you know, of course the, the, the main girl, you know, we will talk about like what it takes to have Ramona be who she is too. So uh, give the, the, little elevator pitch about the book, about Bad Boy Boogie. Well, uh, the tagline that I've been doing now is, you know, the saying that it's like that Jay DeMarteau spent 25 years in prison for killing a brutal rapist and bully, and all he learned in there was how to get away from it. Yeah, so 25 years in jail from... But, you know, a little more, uh, yeah, the synopsis, you know, which gives a little bit more. I mean, that's like the movie tagline thing. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the elevators. You know, you have ten seconds to talk to somebody. Pitch, but um, so for oh, detail, I would say is that when Jay DeMarteau steps out of prison after twenty five years for murdering a vicious school bully, he tries to follow his convict mentor's advice, which is that the best revenge is living well. But questions not as gut. I mean, he's been in prison for twenty five years. It's like where have his folks disappeared to? Why do his old friends want him gone? And who wants him dead? So he teams up with his high school sweetheart turned legal Valkyrie, who's Ramona, which you spoke of, uh, friend Tony, who's a body shop uh, owner, and the uh, 
Raina, who's a razor-wielding uh, gentleman's clubhouse mother, who's based on people I knew in, uh, in my past. And with them, he'll unravel a tangle of deception that goes all the way back to the bayous where he was born in Louisiana. So that's, that's the short uh, synopsis I can give you. So the first uh, thing that I wanted to, to mention, though, of course, was that you chose to set it in real locations like Nutley, New Jersey, um, and that area around there. Um, why did you just decide to go with real towns instead of making up towns? I find it much easier to use places that I've been. Um, I'm a book I'm writing now. I am inventing it, or you know, basically making it an amalgam of other different towns. But this one, um, when I was inspired by the story, was on several news uh, events and stories that happened in the area, and. I felt, uh, you know, growing up, you know, the fact that uh, we do flashback to Jay's childhood with his friends, which I spent in Nutley, and those uh, scenes really drew on my, you know, growing up in my own childhood. So it felt like I wanted to, you know, enjoy a little bit of the nostalgia there. And actually, this one, I mean, even though I've had Blade of Dishonor published before this, this was the first book that I wrote. And it was, you know, it's the one where you just put your whole heart in and, that is, you know, that's where I came from and grew up and this area that I know well. And I wanted to try and tell a story that could only really, I mean, it couldn't only happen here, but in certain, some ways it could, you know, like the details is really make it a, a Northern New Jersey story. Yeah. Because even though there was some, like you mentioned, some scenes and, and time spent in the Louisiana bayou of, of Jay's family, like biological family and stuff. Um, it's it's very this suburban outside the metro area of New York kind of a story and it, what's interesting is that is to me is obviously noir is a very broad category and crime fiction itself is even broader but i think so many people think of New York City and Los Angeles and Philadelphia that um you know like to be to have something that's this that's just as dirty and ruthless and it's like right here in this happy little suburb <laughs> you know well, i don't want to take uh, credit for that i mean there's a lot of people have been writing in this uh you know in the suburbs uh, as well say like megan abbott but because the way the book industry is i mean uh, i think they're calling her domestic suspense you know because domestic you know because uh, she's a woman she's a woman and the <laughs> other is the uh, you know i there was, you know, after uh, Jillian Flynn, you know, Gone Girl, there was, uh, you know, big research. Like, oh, my, there's all these women writing, you know, these dark stories. It's like, yeah, and, and, you know, the people in the fandoms and the genres, you know, who enjoy the genres have known about them. You know, they've been doing this since the beginning, you know, but, you know, every couple of years, the news finds it again. And I have, you know, no problem playing in the same wheelhouse. I mean, it's like there are, are men who write in the same area. I mean, but it's usually not quite as dark. I mean, Harlan Coben is the fame, probably the most famous writer who writes in our area. And his are more thriller, you know, uh, you know, family, you know, disrupted by an outside source, you know, and the, yeah, it's almost, I won't, I won't say Ozzy and Harriet, you know, but like the, you know, the struggling suburban family and they're just being bothered by all these things outside. I love them, but, uh, you know, there's dirty stories, you know, there's people in the working class and the underclass in our areas as well. And I wanted to something, you know, uh, get uh, all three, you know, the affluent, you know, the you know middle class and 
and the working class, a story that really told how we're all uh, fighting each other out here in Jersey. Yeah, everybody's it's a pretty blended town. But yeah, shout out to Megan Abbott. There's a new comic book coming out by her and Allison Galen, illustrated by Steve Scott, called uh, Normandy Gold. So I have details on the website about that. Um, I can't wait to read that either. Yeah, I don't know if that's her first foray into comics or what, but um, it's the first time I noticed her name in comics. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you were talking about all these different the the diversity of what is you know even in the suburbs, which is um, one of the things that I I took away from the story was that you've you've got it in that sort of I mean it's not really you know mafia ish but it was like sort of like the kids version of mafia where you've got like the irish kids and the italian kids and you know like who's friends with who and um you know and then then jay what so that's the only interrupt you go on oh yeah no and then jay comes out of nowhere and here's this kid with this you know hick bayou accent and stuff so um yeah the fish out of water story is always fun and that's partly I mean, I uh, I'd been in love with Louisiana for a long time. Um, my wife's from there, but I actually was of the state before I met her. I mean, this is some writers who wrote down there, like James Lee Burke and you know, Confederacy of Dunces, and even Justin Wilson, the, the cook on, uh, you know, who was on PBS, you know, the Cajun chef. Oh. You know, I remember hearing him as when I was a little kid, and that was, yeah, you know, I was always into what is this place and. So that's where why Jay ended up being from there. I wanted to inject a little flavor, and it, it makes it uh, it's always easier to see uh, things as an outsider, like because we're living in that water. You know, when we when we grow up in the suburbs or in you know these towns where you don't really question the pecking order of you know, hey, how come these kids hang together and the other ones don't? Um, even you know, even if. Uh, I'd say they're a diverse group, and then you start realizing, oh, okay, they grow up on one side of the tracks. You know, they're a little more blue collar, and these kids are a little more, you know, a little more refined. They're wearing preppy shirts, and you know, and you start and from the outside, it's easier to see how um, how the groups come together, and that's why I wanted to give it, you know, to have uh, Jay come up from there. Yeah, so Jay's little gang when he's a teenager is sort of like. Uh, like the misfit kids, I guess, didn't really fit in with anything else because, like, there's the Jewish kid who hides his yarmulke under his baseball cap, and, um, you know, and he's picked on for that reason. And, like, it seems like everybody in this book was abused in some way, shape, or form. And um, and then Ramona is, like I said, the, the leading female character, and she is you know, comes from a, a much wealthier class and then she marries an even wealthier class. And um, yet she's has a typical teenage existence. Like, you know, she was fooling around with adult men when she was a teenager. Cause she's like, who gives a crap? That was, that was one of the things about Ramona was like, whatever. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Um, well, I mean, it's another one who's, I mean, maybe not everything that happens to her is based on, well, I know, but the character is definitely inspired by, uh, let's say, I mean, I don't like the term precocious, you know, but let's say the two have as a friend who went to college at a very early age, and you feel, you get that confidence in yourself when you're young and you're, you know, you think, oh, 
well, look, I'm, you know, I'm an adult. You know, we all kind of felt like that. We don't really know that we don't have it together yet and we can't make these decisions. Right. You know? And, and that was, you know, where she came from. It's not, you know, you know, trying to be salacious or anything. It's just, you know, these are you know, people that I knew and she, it's like when I came to, when to write her story, it was like, okay. It's like, I, I've never lived as a 16 year old, you know, girl in high school, but I, yeah, know the stories of a lot of you know, women who did. So that's where I drew from. Yeah. And she's, it was very like this is why every character felt really developed you know especially like by the time you get to the end you really know everybody so well and and even though people may question the actions of somebody like Ramona um she she did things that definitely were by her own choice because the one time somebody tried to make her do something she stood up for herself and was just like, you know, and then Jay took care of it too. And that was when they were much younger, you know, teenagers, but it it was just an interesting thing where it's, you know, she like, she, it's not that she didn't know the difference between right and wrong. And I think a lot of people lose that when they talk about teenagers and sexuality that, Oh, they don't know any better. They don't know this. And Oh, you know, if she was a teenage girl and this man was, you know, an adult, he should, you know, she should know better. And it's like, it's like, but she definitely knew right from wrong. She just made her choices as to no, not this one, you know, <laughs> that one time. She, she's a, yeah, it's, yeah. I didn't want to give her, you know, I, I don't like when, uh, you know, people, uh, are given a pass, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to, yeah, you make people, we're going to, our, our life is our decisions, and sometimes we're going to make wrong ones. People are going to behave selfishly. They're going to behave vindictively, you know, and there's things we can't undo. And, I mean, you can, you know, if you want to tally them all up like we're Anubis at the uh, afterlife, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how many of us would pass the test. And, that was the thing in there. I mean, it's like she, you know, <laughs> she's a character, you know, yeah. she is looking out for her, you know, not her own, you know, not her own interests. She has her own plan. You know, there's so many, uh, woman characters, especially if they're married, where you start seeing that, you know, like they don't seem to have their own agency. Yeah. And, yeah. and she you know, definitely does. I mean, she might not be. And this is, yeah, exactly. It's like the whole plot is actually revolves around uh, stuff that she put into motion. Yeah. And, and you might not like it. Like it, that's the thing. Like any anybody who reads it, you you might not like it. You might not like what she does, but you still respect her that she's in control of herself. Yeah. Well, part of it. I mean, this wasn't not just her, but every character. We make uh, we make decisions, and this may this may say more about me, or at least the people I grew up with. Is yeah, you know, there's going to you know even uh, stuff that comes from you know altruism. There a lot of times it goes through a lens or a filter where it's like, well, you know, how much can I do the most good for everybody, including myself and my friends? You know, it's like, you know, how how many people do you know they really go out and do you know selfless you know things or you know, oh, I can I'd like to help this out and you know of course I then I get some you know feedback or you know publicity on it or whatever so. It's not to say that everyone is, uh, you know, I'm not a very, I'm not super cynical either, but, you know, everyone, you know, everyone has their own little agendas in it. And when you have characters who seem to be doing things, you know, just to help, 
the uh, you know just to help the protagonist. Yeah, they're not. They don't really have that. Uh, I don't think they're fully human. You know, even the uh, you know even toadies. You know, like in the, like a uh, was it uh, Tony in the book? We didn't mention him yet. He's uh, Jay's best friend who was uh, who runs a body shop. And he really uh, does help him out when he gets out of prison. He does. Yeah, but yeah. of course he has his own reasons as well. And it's not you know he's not uh, yeah. I don't want to get too deep, you know. I don't want to give away too much, but he has, you know, it's similar. Everyone, you know, everyone's using Jay a little bit, and that's, uh, yeah. I, sorry, go on. <laughs> well, Jay is, um, I, I felt for him, even though it's like, you know, this dude is like so violent, and he does not regret the murder that he committed that sent him to jail. Um, like he doesn't. I, like he has, like he gives zero fucks. Like <laughs> that's just. Um, but the time period of in the eighties to go away for twenty five years and come back, he's like he doesn't know what a, a cell phone is. He doesn't know how to use the internet. He's so confused and lost. And it's like it's not only because because um, they're adults, but because he literally lost time. You know, oh, yeah, he was uh, supposedly, you know, it was it was like between 15 and 16, let's say, when he was arrested. And in in reality, I mean, you're, unless uh, you're extremely rich and a case like this, you're you're not going to be walking free again unless you are acquitted. Jay obviously was not. So he was, you know, that was the last time that he you know, saw his family freely or anything. And I, to me, it was just like, I'd like to write a story about a guy who gets out of prison, doesn't even know how to drive. You know, I'd read certain stories about, you know, uh, people who've been in, you know, from juvenile times and the difficult they have in reentry. Uh, this story is only partly about that, um, but I didn't, I couldn't ignore the realities of it. And it's not, yeah. But it, on the other hand, it's not. I don't want to. I don't spend too much time on Jay looking at a cell phone and saying, oh, "What is this magic? You know, <laughs> what is this sorcery?" No, it's like he, uh, you know, you, you're aware of cell phones in prison. I mean, they are smuggled in. You don't get to use one every day. I mean, you've probably never seen an iPhone. You know, but the. Uh, the flip phones, right. they get smuggled in, and you read about certain things in the internet and whatnot in the magazines you pass around. But it is a totally different world, but the people really don't change. And that's another thing in it, is how he gets along, is that he, <laughs> you know, having both dealt with, you know, as a kid with a bunch of manipulative people, both friends and family, and then in prison where you're constantly pushed between, you know, different uh, gangs and different, you know, uh, different actors. You have to keep the COs happy, and but you can't, you know, you, there's certain things you can do and cannot do in there. He is a very uh, quick judge of character and what people's um, motives are. And that's what he uses against people more than being a mechanic. Uh, you know, he also learned in prison, you know, he spent his time in every training course he could find that they would give him. So he's pretty good with a, a wrench and everything, but more so he you know, can view people and he gets a good read on what their intentions are. Mm -hmm. So a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the prison gangs, like, I mean, you really, uh, I was wondering what kind of research you did, or if it's just because you're so well read on your own. Um, like I, like this information that all of, that you have on all of this prison stuff. I mean, if it doesn't come from a TV show, then I have no, I'm literally clueless. So, um, well, Oz, you know, it's not uh, bad. Yeah. Bad to that. But uh, for me, uh, some of it was uh, 
I read uh, the Anglite, which is the uh, official inmate-run newspaper of the Angola, Louisiana prison, which anyone can subscribe to. It's like $25 a year. And these guys, they write you know, good articles in there. They're mostly involving the criminal justice yeah, sorry, criminal justice system. So if you're not interested in that at all, may not be. Um, it may not be the magazine for you, but it gives you a, a look into prison life. Uh, the gang stuff is more from reading people who had served in prison. You know, everything from the original Orange is, in, is the New Black to, you know, if there's you know, more, uh, what is another good one? Uh, God of the Rodeo, which is also set in Angola. Um, there's... The way prison is is there's a there is a TV and a movie uh, ethos about it. Let's say that you know this, uh, we have like this almost image where it's like Shawshank Redemption, which mm. was set and stuff in the 40s and 50s, and it's <laughs> it's almost like a fairy tale mythology we have of it. You know where it's like oh you better get in, you're oh, someone's gonna you know do this and you know and the gangs are all you know based on race. It's like and to a, to a degree they are and. Yeah, but talking to ex-cons and reading about it, it's like the riots were mostly, you know, to it's it's like a strike. I think that workers did a strike there, and they also use it to that time to to uh, make uh, booze and trade drugs and all that and fight for different parts of territory. So when a riot happens, it's never it's never spontaneous. They'll find an excuse, like if a guard beats somebody, you know, down too hard or something, like they might use it. Um, and this, a lot of this is from, uh, let's say, Les Edgerton. He's a crime writer, older fellow. Sorry, Les, he's, <laughs> but he is. <laughs> and uh, he, he's written some interest, uh, good uh, crime fiction uh, period. And one was called Just Like That, about two guys who get out of prison for five or ten years. And, it's just, and it just gave the criminal mindset. Um, but, yeah, we have, the other thing I wanted to get with the prison scenes is that we have this image you know, where, oh, someone that's abused his kids or is a rapist or whatever, oh, they're going to prison. It's like, oh, they'll get theirs. They'll get the street justice they deserve there. And it's not it's not really true. Um, if, if you're weak, you know, and a lot of people who have less kids are these little, you know, skinny little guys who, you know, are going to not do well in prison no matter what they did. And that's why they're getting uh, attacked. And they'll use that excuse on them if, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to try and get out of trouble if you, you know, beat a... Uh, child molester to half to death, you know, you're going to say, it's like, oh, I couldn't stand that, and to, to try to get a leniency from, you know, from the prison justice system. I see. But it's, you know, they're not, it's, it's rare that it's uh, true revenge on it. Because I know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I definitely know more about it from the, bef- like, the before they go to prison stuff. Like, I know more about the police procedures and, um, you know, and that that particular part. And one of the the things you have is you have the whole elements of good cops and bad cops also like you know the reason that this that this guy was a victim you know this rapist that jay is goes to prison for is um uh, you know he was a kid who was well connected his father you know his father is really well connected and stuff and um so the like the cops situation when when jay comes back and he's out of prison like I was trying to get a, a read on things. I'm like, I thought these guys were friends. Why do they seem to be threatening him? And it was just all because of this whole like internal police pressure. Like they, it was like they, 
had to do what, you know, what this powerful man of the town, like, needed to be done kind of a thing. Well, that's the other thing is they're, they're called peace officers. And so their job is to keep the peace, which may not always be the best thing, you know, for freedom. You know, it's, uh, you know, that's a lot of times where we see suburban police uh, have, uh, you know, violent problems, you know, against minorities or anybody. It's because they're looking at something as, you know, they're trying to keep, you know, some sort of order that you may not really be breaking a law. You may be, you know, they might have you know, more sympathy towards you if you are, you know, not someone they consider an outsider. And, you know, you'd be let go in that case, you know, but when you're considered a troublemaker or an outsider, you're, they're going to, you know, wield the system against you. And that was it. it uh, my father was a police officer in Nutley for a brief time. Um, it was, you know, he told me, you know, stories of things that had happened while he was on, yeah, you know, while he was on the force, and there it was, yeah, the, it's almost become a cliche, you know, but uh, if they can't catch the person who did it, if they get someone who, you know, it's like you probably did something, yeah. or you, and that was the, you know, the uh, attitude Jay was given, because he was low class, you know, he'd gotten into fights, you know, he was a bit of a, you know, he was a troublemaker, he's not, a, you know, he's certainly no angel, he's not, you know, out, uh, wasn't out, you know, in a gang or anything at the time when he was a kid, but you know they knew that he was going to be trouble, and that was it. If, if someone's going to take the fall for it, it's going to be him. It's not going to be someone who they consider having a future, and that's similar cases, you know, with yeah, you, know, you know, even happening today. And that's yeah, just how it is. Well, I want to talk talk about the twins too, um, Brendan and Billy, right? Yeah. Um, so Brendan is, uh, ends up, you know, we discover that Brendan is gay and Billy is not. And um, Billy goes on to become a cop, though, right? Yes. Yeah, he's the one cop that's, um, that's sort of like, Jay, like, why don't you just, like, leave town? Like, get the hell out of here. You know, nobody wants you back. Um, and he's very pragmatic. Yeah. He's not, you know, he, he's he's not a nutley cop. He's in Newark, you know, which he, he kind of looks down on the small town cops. You know, he wanted to outdo his father, so he went to a bigger, you know, the bigger city, became a detective. And the thing is, he did, you know, he's very brash with Jay in front of really once we they finally learn that he is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, I, the I'm trying not to give the bad cop thing. It's just more he's just. He's very cynical. He's seen it all. He's like, nothing good's going to come of this. You know, it's like he, and he, there's no, you know, if you, if, there, if you had a reason to be here, I would say, you know, go ahead. But your family you know, was gone. Uh, yeah. That's it. He just want, he does not want trouble. And obviously, his own family is involved. You know, Billy's. So right. you know, he was peace there. But that's that's where that comes from. He's not like coming in, you know, trying to be the. It's like, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, a, you know, the bad cop, and we were friends. It's more like I'm trying to do this for your good, your own good. Nothing good will come of it. And in the end, Billy's kind of right, even though he's a jerk. Right. <laughs> that was, <laughs> I like, more, I, you know, I get a little entertainment out of making, you know, character the characters who tend to be have their heads on straight in the long run, having a really no, you know, they, they has, Billy has no uh, good way of talking with people. There's a reason he's, you know at the level he is with the police and won't get any higher. Yeah. He's, uh, he's not someone you put on television. <laughs> well, um, the, the character who's out as gay is, is Brendan. 
And, but part of the, like Brendan has this life of homophobic abuse and yet there are, you have some other characters in here and we'll talk about that, you know, that sexual orientation is not black and white. Like you're not just like one way or the other, that there's this spectrum. And um, I don't remember if I, if I linked to the article, I, I think I did. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of books written about men who have sex or, you know, in some regard, even if it's oral sex, men have sex with each other, but will never say that they're gay in any capacity. And it's, you know, sex between straight men. Um, Jane Ward has a book. There's New York Magazine did a piece on it. And they call it stuff like dude sex or bud sex. And, um, <laughs> bud sex. Bud okay. sex. Bud. Bud with a D. Bud. Yeah. And, they all drink uh, bud too. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, because they probably are all drinking Budweiser. Um, <laughs> it absolves all sins. It's like the holy water for uh, yeah. straight white guys. <laughs> <laughs> probably. That's probably the and, I mean, it's only sins in their mind. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. yeah but, so, but yeah, I, I did read all those articles and I, I was kind of glad it was, you know, that it was making light, you know, make, uh, making it to light that there are, you know, people like this. And I'm not going to name the character who, uh, right. you know, who is one of these because it's, you know, it's a reveal. But uh, and anyone who reads about people who are homophobic and uh, <laughs> and what usually happens <laughs> yeah, is that, you know, they, they're they often found, you know, to be hiding a, a secret life. Not all of them, but it's you know, it's nothing new there. Yeah. Um, and that would is kind of what these bud sex guys, you think they would do. It's like they might, you know, after this, they might go, you know, uh, they, they go have, you know, might have go some bud sex, then go have a couple buds and then see, you know, someone who they think is too effeminate and they might beat them up. You know, it's... And to them, there would be no cognitive dissonance there. But to us, we're, you know, we're just looking out and it's like, okay, you must be crazy. Yeah. I mean, didn't one of them, like, come out last week? I don't know if – I don't think he was actually in Congress, but he was somebody who was, like, helping pass one of these bills, like the bathroom bill thing. And it was like, oh, this so-and-so advisor to the Trump campaign, blah, blah, blah. And- so Ralph Story, uh, I can't remember what state uh, – I remember his name. I don't remember the state. It was either Oklahoma or, you know, one of the, one of the ones out in the middle. And he uh, was caught in a hotel room with a 17-year-old boy that he had solicited for sex. And it, they really covered I didn't share a lot of it because the news articles weren't giving a lot of detail. And I don't like to, you know, just put things out, you know, put things out and, until, uh, you know, there's charges or, you know, because, you know, it's someone's life again. But no, he was definitely, you know, this wasn't... Uh, Oh, I'm gonna. You know, you're having you're having some trouble, and you want to talk to your your congressman. Well, let's meet someplace quiet and talk. <laughs> he had solicited him for sex, and yeah, he had been. I guess like it was anti-trans bills and some other homophobic ones. And it's just it's it's not a, you know it gets to it's not a surprise there because to them uh, they're so strict about this because they're so afraid of their. Uh, real life coming out that they, they uh, want not, it's not that they're doing it just to put up a front. It's like they, it's almost as if they, you know, think that they blame out homosexuals for, you know, for them. It's like, you make it worse. for us. Everyone was just as quiet and afraid and hated themselves like us. Mm-hmm. It would be better. You know, it's like the attitude that you seem that comes off of these type of guys. And, and then, yeah, I mean, I, 
when I'd read of characters like this, I was like, what if, you know, to me it was just, you know, fascinating me to be able to have those same thoughts in your head at the same time. And I wanted to write a character who wasn't just pure evil, who thought he was doing good, and who was one of them. And, yeah, there's one in the book. Yeah, and like um, I mentioned before, you have a couple, like, trans women characters, and 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 in the prison system, they're part of like part of those scenes of Jay being being there is they I don't know how they actually manage but I guess it's through some sort of like bribery situation right it's, it's, it's not the first story yeah there's many uh, yeah. trans in prison who can because you can get drugs in yeah so, so you, the, know, you can get one you're not there's no problem with getting estrogen so they <laughs> yeah so they get um the so he gets the, his cellmate changed and gets to protect her like a, you know, the sister. And, uh, and it was just yeah. one of those things that when he comes out and, you know, and, and meets Raina, it's, he's just kind of like, Hey, you know, like it wasn't like some big shocking, it, like it wasn't, it was well, sorry, a lot, very loud motorcycles going by. Um, so it wasn't like this big thing. Like Jay's reaction was just so natural. He was just like, you know, well, to him, yeah, that was the thing is like, if, to, to to Jay, you know, when you know, she this character was always a woman. When he met her in prison, that's how she wanted to be seen, and that was you know they they were cell cellmates and friends. So, you know, to him, you know, it wasn't a big shock. It was more, you know, that's uh, how uh, she had always presented herself. Yeah. And and that that also comes from you know my personal life. I've known yeah. You know, well, trans people who transitioned at work when they let's say um, when they came they were they were not you know dressing and then we got you know the whole they they transitioned while they were employees and it's it's you know I, you have to have uh, you know empathy it's not something easy to go through with seeing everyone around you that and they deal with so much crap from society in general you know it's like people that are around you you know close by you have to you know hope that they would at least be yeah, consider it. And yeah, and but, that was that was what was so sweet. Like that was like there, you have these moments of of just pure like caring and compassion and sweetness. And it's like in this book filled with you know murder and abuse, and it, like you know like how Jay feels. Uh, you know he's like this. He, you know like this person was just like okay, I you know I'm gonna take care of her, and um. You know, so when she starts dating some, you know, somebody from that club, he's just like, okay, and you know, and like the whole club scene itself feels like so slimy and everything. And uh, that was tough too. It was more like I, I felt, I, I almost felt, I felt bad putting in a strip club in a in a crime novel because it's such a cliche. But I, when I wrote it, I would say, okay, I know people who danced, you know, and both men and women, and I would just like, okay. I'm going to write this from their perspective. I mean, the people like Jay is seeing it as a bouncer and, uh, you know, as a customer, but I was not going to let that facade that the customer gets at these places uh, be there at all. Because I wanted to show it from their side where it's, you know, it's work. Yeah. Um, and it is slimy and sleepy. I mean, yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's what it, and it's, you know, and it's a business and sometimes it's, uh, uh, an organized crime connection or or what have you um you know so like jay just gets he really gets 
I don't know if prison was harder or if coming out in his real life then was harder for him. That's why, yeah, I used that as the conceit was, uh, you know, he, you know, he, he could survive the prison yard for so many years, you know, with so many new people coming in who are going to be younger and stronger and have to prove themselves and, you know, people who are unhinged or, or, you know, think that you know, they're going to have to prove themselves with violence or not. You know, and it's, it's really just regular life on overdrive. If you go to an office, you know, there's people who, I mean, they're not going to shank you, but they're going to, uh, you know, try to bully you and see what, where you stand on the pecking order, see where they can push you around, if they can talk over you at a meeting, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so I want, I want to make that comparison. And and like I said, you have, you know, these scenes where, where these, um, especially like teenage Ramona and Jay together, that are just so sweet and they're so in love and everything's so romantic and, and adorable. And, and then, you, you know, then, you, you know, you, you have obviously, like I said, this book that has all this other violence sprinkled in. So as a writer, like how, I don't know, probably because I suck terribly at writing sex scenes, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm reading this and I'm going, how did he do this? Like, I did, I'm like, uh, did it take like 8 million revisions or, you know, anybody helping you saying, no, this here and this here and this here. Like, how did you do this? With just the sex scenes you're talking about? Um, yeah. And then like, because you had to transition back and forth between, you know, this brutal stuff and then into these, you know, sweet things. And it didn't come out like porn. Like none of it came out like, <laughs> like porn. I'm glad it didn't come out like porn. Um, but yeah, it, uh, writing those scenes, I tried to keep it, you know, just little flashes of, what, you know, I tried to think of, like, what would you remember if uh, if you were a character in this, you know, in this particular scene or what I would remember? You know, you're, you're not going to have, like, a video camera in your head. And so I thought of it, you know, just keep the, the minimal. And because, I mean, they're not, you know, there's no euphemism. You know, it's, it's graphic, you know, to a degree. But it's very, you know, it's cut very short. And you, you know what's going on with the very least being told to you. And to do that, yeah, you try to. I try to think of it as looking back, and you know what memory would take away from you, what would it leave out, and you know, how to do it without being see, salacious. You know, you need sex scenes should always you know have a purpose other than just saying, "Oh, that's hot." You know, unless you're writing. I mean, if you're writing a book that you want to turn people on, that's fine. But in this, it needed to be you know stuff that. Uh, develop the characters further and Jay yeah if that's where you see Jay's yeah his problems his scars from his past and and also uh, and you know also uh, Ramona's and but I wanted to you know show that they could still find tenderness together so it wasn't you know like oh you know like shocking or anything it was just the two damaged people who had found each other because they fit and they you know they had a short time together yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, it's probably not, I don't think it's spelled out or anything in there that Jay is PTSD, but goddamn, he definitely does. And that's. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. I'm glad that got across. Yeah, because um, that was one of the things that I, in the review, I mean, I wrote this, this long review and, like, praised you incredibly because you deserve it. Um, one of the things I, I mentioned was about how other storytellers, sometimes they get the the abuse part wrong like they they just say they just use it as motivation for why is this person seeking revenge and they don't really 
show the character and Jay like has he has these nightmares and he you know so he he doesn't sleep and he has intimacy issues like physically and um you know like there's there's just so much going on that like sex is not just sex to him like there's you know the his his brain is so overloaded and uh you know and it's just like it was that's why it was like such a relief like to see all of these symptoms and and it wasn't like spelled out like oh well now jay needs therapy you know it's like you, you just read about him and it's like oh my god this guy well <laughs> yeah he's it's... fucked up he's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Some of it is, you know, firsthand. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I was not abused as a child, but I have gone through traumatic experiences, and I wanted to, you know, write him honestly about it because I think we get away from that a lot, in uh, especially in the crime and uh, you know, thriller and pulp, you know, where if you're, you know, someone who kills people or uh, has, you know, been around violence or emotional violence, even, you know, all their lives. They're going to behave a certain way, and and or uh, any you know not any one certain way, but they're going to be affected. And I, I I don't want him to be like oh he drinks a whiskey a whisk whiskey doesn't solve this, you know it's like there's so many you know characters who are alcoholic because of it, and you know Jay you know does drink in the book and. But he's like a kid because he hasn't drank in so long. You know, he, he's the he's the cheap date who can get drunk off of one drink, and I didn't want to give him that out. I mean, he um, and he doesn't have many people to talk to. Like even the people who uh, the only person he could was was Ramona, and now like that they're older, it's on a different uh, different pain. Um, but one thing I wanted to go back to. Sorry, it was when you were talking about the yeah. trans characters, and one of the reasons. Um, is my grand, uh, my great uncle. Um, he ran uh, bars in Manhattan for organized crime back in the seventies, and a lot of them were gay bars that were specific. You know, one there were certain ones that were for you know meant to be friendly gay, and there were other ones that were more specific for the straight uh, you know bud guys who in that in those days it wasn't. Uh, just uh, you know, looking for bud sex. It was you'd want it. You know, they they tended to want a either effeminate, gay, or uh, or someone who was transitioning, you know, uh, a trans woman. Because and they those bars that they you know would hire bartenders who were trans. I, he uh, told the story of one uh, who you know called you know herself Betty after Betty Grable, and his story. Yeah, he told me which you know he grew up on a. A farm out in the Midwest, and you know, luckily he made it to New York alive, where he could be, you know, um, you know, where Betty could be what she wanted once she was older. And that it story stuck with me, just as I couldn't imagine having to go through that. It's like it was hard enough, you know, anyone finding, you know, learning who you are, and having society look down or think or try to tell you that that's not who you are. It's got to be so difficult in any you know thing, but especially you know the trans experience. And I was like, I didn't, yeah, you know, I want, I wanted to, you know, at least, you know, show, you know, I wanted to try to experience in a character, you know, what, what it was like to have that kind of strength to be able to, you know, live with that. And 
Raina is that type of strong character. Yeah. Um, and Jay uses her as that example. And uh, when he's you know, talking to one of the bad guys, you know, or, you know, uh, who is trying to explain himself and say, you know, it takes us, you know, strength to do this. And he's like, no, you don't know anything about, about strength. And he tells what he knows of Reyna. And that to me was one of the, the scenes that means the most to me, at least. And that's, and, and it's got to be so different than when your uncle was running these bars, because I oh, mean, God. today it's, I don't want to say it's easy to be out because it's certainly not. Um, there's so much abuse. There's, we're, they're on like, I think uh, we've counted like eight just trans women of color murders. And, and that's just this year. And it's not even the end of March. Um, the, I think there's more openness and more acceptance as people are learning about um, like separating what we were taught as science and what's being discovered and and just uh, and because it's one of those things where I always kind of wondered like who cares if a celebrity came out as gay like I always kind of wondered like who cares and people were like oh because you need that you need and I was just like really I didn't I didn't need that but I guess you kind of do and um, so, like, the, uh, the Wachowskis are, you know, they've, uh, at least, uh, Lana, anyway, got a, the Human Rights Campaign Award and gave this incredibly moving speech a couple years yeah, ago. It's great. And, um, you know, but I, the people that I follow on Twitter, I follow, like, a decent n- number of trans people and trans activists and just the whole queer culture I, I like to me I'm like oh you know it's these people see, they're all here for each other and even you know like uh, those of us that are you know cisgender we you know we try to be there for them and and not burden them or anything and just try to be there and be supportive and yet I felt so bad like uh there's this one person that I'm following and over the last couple of days like her twitter I I wasn't seeing the people that I guess were harassing her, but she was just like, she actually posted, okay, I'm quitting Twitter. And then it was like 10 minutes later. No, fuck you. I'm not quitting Twitter. That's what you want. <laughs> and, and she just has like such a bad couple of days of harassment. And uh, not, I mean, there's, we, like I said, you can see a lot of support for trans out there too, but uh, there's a lot of, yeah, you know, it's, the the, the uh, hatred against it has has gotten stronger as well. I mean, with the the election, yeah. now there's this there's this bus going around trying to say that you know boys are boys and girls are girls. Yeah, you know, like obviously they'd never heard Lou Reed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sorry to make I don't mean to make a joke of it because it's not it isn't funny, but it's like you know, like, forty years ago yeah. we were toying with this in the popular culture, and it was like we keep forgetting that we can go backwards, and we did. We did in the '80s after Reagan. And we slowly got back a little in the '90s when you know we make all these movies where it's hey, wouldn't it be cool if we were nice to each other? Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> I know that's just it. Like after 9/11, like I, that those yeah. days after right after 9/11, everybody was so nice. Oh gosh, yeah. It was and, and there were no planes in the sky because it you know quiet. Yeah. Was, well, you're further out west, but here in near Newark Airport, yeah, it was. It, it felt like I was 
like a child again. There were so so many fewer flights, and it's not to you know glorify not you know nine eleven obviously. I mean, no, I was, but it was different. Yeah, it was... I was I worked in Manhattan that day, and it was yeah it was terrifying. But it was it yeah it was definitely a changing point in the in the culture as well. And so and, now yeah, and so now it's like there's like the this immigration bans and the bathroom bills. It's like there's it's like all of these legal reasons to hate and discriminate, like the Religious Freedom Act. Uh, it's like which one's that one? I mean, I, I mean that one is the one. The, the religious but some names, but yeah. The, that's the um, the one that basically won like the Hobby Lobby case. Oh gosh. The um, yeah. So that if you're an employer, you have the right to fire people, and some of that makes total sense to me, and some of it doesn't. Um, if you're a Catholic school and you only want to hire Catholic people with your same viewpoint, I, honestly, I'm like, okay, whatever. It's a Catholic school, but. Um, but there are gay Catholics, you know, so there's, that's another thing. So it's like they, they can write everything off as religious freedom. And then you can, you know, the bakery, the bakery lawsuit thing was the big one. You know, somebody didn't want to make the cake for lesbians or something. And, um, they were, they were shut down, um, obviously because their business, like, I mean, first of all, between all of the hate mail and, um, and attention, it's like, well, maybe you just should have made the fucking cake. <laughs> but now this, so that the religious freedom bill allows people to say, no, I don't want to bake your lesbian cake, you know, which sounds like the cake has sexuality, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, we are definitely going back with that, with the, you know, the separation of church and state and how we view it. I mean, we, we can't, I think, uh, thanks to the media fracture and, there's uh, you know people that are we don't we can't even the, the words seem to have different definitions to different people of different political stripes. And that's why you know it was so odd, um, and it, it was odd. Yet you know we understand why that that there's class issues and not just gender and sexuality issues. But um, you know Caitlyn Jenner being a Trump supporter and a Republican. And his his token, if you will, and it, and it's like, how can you support somebody who would tell you you're not allowed to use this bathroom? Like, well, if, but yeah, that's the I don't not to be cruel to Caitlyn Jenner in particular, but when when is that going to affect her? Yeah, really, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like, that's how we see with like both with, with whites, whether they're rich or poor or whatever, or you know, those people who just don't seem to care, yeah. You know, about let's say the uh, the immigration ban and all this, and it's like, well, you're not seeing your family torn apart because of it, or yeah, seeing it happen to friends. Yeah, you're famous enough, or you know, you have enough money and whatever. I don't know what to blame the uh, selfishness on. I don't know. You know, uh, uh, you know because to me, I want other people to be, you know, to feel comfortable and free in in my country, as long as they're not hurting other people. You know, I you know, get into arguments all the time because when you, I don't consider myself a libertarian, you know, but uh, certain things, yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, if, let's say, if, if you want to go out and shoot guns and mm-hmm. keep them locked up and you're safe, you know, keep them safe, uh, go right ahead. I mean, I don't want right. to compare that to someone's identity. You know, it's not the same, you know, but it it seems like we've all gotten into each other's business and, are judging. It's almost, you know, like the Puritan, uh, 
you know, the puritanical uh, impulses of American culture seem to come to head here. And that's even with, even with uh, healthcare, we're seeing like, I'm sure you, uh, you, yeah. you saw this on Twitter the other day where the guys were like, well, I can't ask the guy to pay for a mammogram or this. It's like, what do you mean you can't? You can't, you don't have trouble asking me to pay for a trucker subsidy or, or something that is not going to help me at all. Yeah, I'm childless and, you know, taxes would pay for schools. Like, come on, because yeah. I don't want stupid children being raised. I mean, well, even that you're you're making see so you're turning it into something that, how it does benefit us, and it's true most most things that we pay for do right. you know, uh, in some way if we get you know down to you know granularity of it, but it's almost like well why should I help someone who's not me? I'm yeah, like, they don't know where their taxes go. Okay, That's I just can't it. explain that to you if you're you know so if you don't have empathy for other people, yeah. I don't understand. And part of it is that loss. I read it was a great book that I read. It's a very depressing book called uh, Strangers in Their Own Land, where uh, a Berkeley, you, you, you Berkeley sociologist, she went to uh, deep red Louisiana country, uh, like Tea Party country, you know, just to study them and see why they voted the way they did. And it, was, it wasn't, <sighs> there wasn't hatred up front. You know, they didn't talk about it, but essentially, like it came down to, you know, like, oh, people I know, work hard and they need the help and everything, but those other people, ones, imaginary people they don't know or someone who they see who looks different than them, you know, as they're driving by, you know, their house, you know, um, they consider those people to be late. Oh, they're the ones on welfare and cheating and late, you know, and should I help them and why should I care about them? It's like, I keep getting told I should care about these people and I don't. It's like, well, then why should we care about you when you flood or, you know, or, you know, when you exactly. lose all your jobs, it's like it's because we're Americans and we're supposed to care for each other. Yeah, we lost that. Yeah, I don't know if you saw. Um, I don't know if you because you were, had a busy morning. If you went on Twitter at all today, <laughs> well, I tried to avoid it. <laughs> try to take a day off or something. But and I wanted. To, I wanted to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to get a little bit more happiness out of the the uh, AHCA Trump Care thing getting uh, defeated. Yeah, so I didn't want to say anything that was going to make me depressed. Okay, well, there are some great memes and <laughs> funny quotes and videos to go back to that will make you chuckle. Um, but, yeah, they um, – you remember – this was part of my uh, news and, and, like, social media blackout. There was Pizzagate. And, oh, God. And I didn't really know what it was at the time. I was like, what are people talking about? I'm not watching the news. I don't know. And um, – you know, and it was that this nonsense that somehow there was like a, a child prostitution ring being run by the Clintons, or so. like it was just so absurd, and it, yeah. and it became like it, it, yeah, so it was like it, it basically like demonized this one pizza shop guy, and who had nothing to do with anything, and it was because that site Infowars that just makes shit up. Um, they just made something up. They just made it up one day, and police raided this you know, place. I mean, having dealt with a little bit of forum, crazy forum stuff in my past, I mean, they do make it up, but it, a lot of it is because they're sitting there in a forum, talking back and forth, looking stuff up, yeah. and any any correlation or... You yeah, know, so they sort of, like, string these yeah. things together, like, you know, that crazy corkboard thing. Yes. And so that's how, that's how this happened. So there are people... So this should have been all done and over, right? And we thought we had moved on past this. Today, there's a little protest going on in D.C. 
I'm not kidding. Of, this of, is after they caught the guy who went there with a rifle, and, and he he just he just yeah. I just that he declared uh, you know that he, he pled guilty. Yeah. People protesting, saying that this stuff's happening. Yeah. It's so it's like it's weird because then they'll be like, you know, like people people showing up in their PizzaGate T-shirts, and then they'll be like, you know, the one person who's trying to enlighten them with reality, like it's, it's like. It's like, oh, dude, you know, you just you're outnumbered by the crazy and, right now, and you can't and you can't disprove the conspiracy. Yeah, that's the problem. With it, is there's you know, I, but it's gotten so bad. Like I shared an article about uh, a prisoner who had been in Angola solitary confinement for 44 years, Albert Wood Fox. Oh yeah, I read that. Just, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, we're getting short on time, so I won't go into too many details. But I shared you know he, his speech. Uh, upon release, and someone said, 44 years, that sounds like cruel and unusual punishment. You sure it's not fake news? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't exist. So, you know, it's like, what do you mean? Like, you, how about you Google it? Well, like, now it's like the, the onus is on everyone else. It's yeah. like you share something, and it's, oh, we'll prove that this is, you know, okay. You know. And people <laughs> believing that the earth is flat again. <sighs> I really hope that some of that is trolling, but I don't I know. I know, I hope so too. I hope so. I just don't know. But, um, yeah, so that's the crazy ass place that we're in, and um, you know, and thinking of like you know the the noir of a, of a small town, and uh, well, you can tie, here, I can tie it back to it. It's like I, because of the you know book and you know the anthologies, including Protectors Two, that you you have a story and the great Bessie Coleman story. Um, you know, I fight you know help fight child abuse by donating to protect. Now, uh, I do get a lot of the Pizzagate nuts because anytime you mention you know, uh, a trial of someone who's a child abuser, you know, they, they tag it with Pizzagate and this and that. It's like, oh, see, there's another one. It's like, uh, they're not all, they don't all know. It's not like they all have a chip in their head and get orders from the Clintons. There's people who've done this for years. And it's, a, if you you wish that the people would take their crazy hatred of, you know, of, let's say, the Clintons or anybody and put it towards fighting child abuse. Well, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering... <laughs> I, you know, when I was reading your story, because you made the locations real, I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder if these, if any of this had, like, a nugget from real news. Because, yeah, I mean, that's just one of those writer prompt things, you know. I'll be upfront and honest, yes. There was an axe murder in in Nutley that had nothing, that's completely different than what uh, happened in this, uh, in the book. But there was, okay. uh, there was an axe murder, if you can use Google if you know, I would wait till you read the book. It won't spoil anything, but you might think it does. Um, there was you know, a lot of incidents of bullying that I got directly from the news that I uh, that inspired uh, the bullying in the story. Other than you know stuff that happened in my real life, you know, we all deal with bullies. We've got one as president right now. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah, and then well, the story about in the park where it's like this, you know, you had you you made these cops legends. Um, where they they chased this guy through the park and there was a shootout and stuff, and it, and I was thinking like every time that part came up, I was like, God, that sounds so real, and <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it could be. I mean, there's probably a million stories. It's an album, uh, yeah, it's certain stories of uh, that I that I know of. Um, it is not any secret truth of uh, a shooting that did happen in that area. Or another one. Uh, part of it was based on my father uh, when he was a police officer. He was not involved, but there was a, there's a famous uh, police murder in New Jersey, uh, happened in Lodi. 
James Trantino. That's the guy. They finally released him from prison. He uh, was one of two uh, armed robbers who robbed a bar and found two police officers there, got the drop on them, and uh, executed them. And when they found those guys, only one of them, Trantino's the one who made it back, you know, who, who went to jail. Uh, the story that my father told me, which, like I said, this is just Tim, tell, you know, Tim telling me, so I don't know who he heard it from or whatever, was that when they found, uh, they, they caught Trantino by when they found the first guy, they, uh, the police uh, really went over, uh, you, know, uh, <laughs> you know, were very violent to him, let's put it that way. And then took a picture of it and, uh, you know, told them, you know, it's like, this is how, if you don't turn yourself in, this is happening to you. This, I don't have any proof behind that. Like, this is just a, you know, it could just be locker room talk between, you know, people. But it's a 50-year-old case. Um, and having that in my head, I was... Yeah, you know, it made me think. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, what are the you know? So what is behind all the, you know the stories that yeah you know, of growing up in this? Yeah, you know, it 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 definitely had an effect on me. Okay, yeah, because that's it did feel like like I said, it felt like something very realistic and and everything and um and I and I thought that it was just going to be like this sort of just nugget mentioned in the story, but then it just kept coming back and back and back and then you finally get like the whole story and I was like oh because I was just thinking oh that was just like a little, a little tidbit to get to know this guy <laughs> and it was you know so it was really interesting like I said I loved technically how you how you put stuff together um, so what I should have asked you first was did you write this just from beginning to end or did you tackle it as far as um, chunks of time well, the first draft of this, I'll, I'll be real quick, was a NaNoWriMo uh, in 2011, and it was uh, a different character. It was the point of view. Uh, Jay did exist, and some of the basics were in there, and some of the, yeah, you know, let's say Ramona existed, and and Matt and and Tony, and but I wasn't happy with that draft. I wrote it from Jay's point of view, and uh, at that point, I. Did try to structure it out. This one, it's uh, I work better with an outline. I don't always use one for the first draft. But then I go back and uh, put something together, and that's what I did with this to try to pair up uh, scenes in the past with uh, scenes in the present to help uh, make sense of everything. So, you know, when you meet the characters, okay, who is this Billy guy? It's like okay, and then directly afterwards, you get to see where they met his kids, and you say okay. Yeah, and you see him, you know, who he was before, and the character, you get an idea of uh, what may have must have happened between now and then to change their personality. So, and that was that was intentional, but it helps a lot to organize with a board. Uh, was it Alexander Sokolov uh, has some good uh, resources online of how to, you know, how to uh, keep track of your three act structure, and that's what I used for this. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um... And definitely before you go, I want to know more about what other projects you have going on because it seems like um, I know BoucherCon is coming up and people are already talking about it. Um, so is there going to be another volume of Protect? Oh, oh Protect. Uh, um, I'm doing another another uh, Protect anthology. I loved, I loved putting those together, but they are a great amount of work. Yeah. So the books are doing very well. Um, 
together. I think there's a hundred writers almost in both of them. One is 40. Yeah. One is 41. The other is 55. So there's 96 stories. I think we've, uh, we're good there. Okay. Um, Cause I know that well, you, ha- and then you have all like all the like other short stories and other books, you know, your Denny stories and stuff. Denny the Dent stories. The next uh, book I'm, I'm finishing now is uh, also based in suburban New Jersey and is about uh, two, uh, nerds who inherit their uh, father's old man bar and try to make it trendy and it gets infested by hipsters. <laughs> a, lot, a little bit lighter than this, but still, uh, still, you know, dirty Jersey and crime in there. Um, and after that, I will work on the next uh, J.D. Marteau novel. He's going to Louisiana and, I don't know, spoilers, he lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When you call it a series, of usually, yeah, yeah you can assume that the main person's going to live. And looking forward to, you know, setting a book down there. And a short story-wise, I don't have a lot coming out this year. I mean, I, because I concentrate so much on the novel, I have a few stories coming out. Um, one is more uh, horror, which uh, <laughs> I know I can't give too many details about that, but it's uh, it's for a Lawrence Block anthology based on. Uh, based on uh, works of art. And Ooh. I chose uh, one of my favorite paintings, which is Truth Coming Out of Her Well to Shame Mankind. And hope it lives up to that great title. That sounds like a really cool book. I mean, especially if Lawrence Block is involved. Yeah. You should definitely check out was it In Sunlight or In Shadow, which is an anthology he edited, which all the stories are based on Edward Hopper paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the noir uh, you know, painter. Yeah, who did uh, Many Dogs at the Diner and you know many others. And Megan Abbott has a story in that, too, which is great, because um, I love Megan's uh, <laughs> her, her uh, suburban noir tales, too, her domestic suspense, but she cut her teeth uh, on 40s and 50s era noir as well, and this one uh, is based in a, like a, a burlesque club in New York in, the, in that time, and it's it can tell that she's just having a blast with it, and I love that story. And it opens the book, so I guess uh, Lawrence Block thought it was great, too. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you for recommendations, so now we've got a couple. Um, uh, anything else on your radar? Um, you know, I mentioned the Normandy Gold comic. It's uh, okay. if, you, uh, if you like uh, 80s-era stuff, uh, P-Planned by Krista Faust and Gary Phillips is another comic out from Hard Case Crime, which uh, I've been enjoying. Um, the, I'm really glad Hard Cases got their own, uh, you know, comic imprint now with Titan and stuff. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like, uh, another comic I read is Bitch Planet. I'm enjoying that. Uh, Killer Be Killed. Anything by, uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips I love too. I'm enjoying Motor Crush, which is a little different for me. That's, uh, um, future motorcycle racing. You know, type, you know, comic. I haven't checked it out yet. That's definitely on my radar though. But, um. Helena Crash is a, a new one, brand new one out that I did a little mini review of. That's if you like Tank Girl, it's kind oh, of okay. that kind of vibe. But it's it's sort of noirish because it's like it's dystopian, so it's like in the future and there's aliens and stuff and robots and everything. But it's it's very noirish where it's like just this like city and there's organized crime and she's. You know, she's just trying to be like a courier, sort of like like transporter. <laughs> okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, definitely on my radar. What about anything TV wise? Oh, uh, do you do I, TV? 
I do, but I don't watch as much because of the, you know, it, uh, I need time to write and read, and I, I, I read a lot and I write a lot. Uh, lately, uh, TV-wise, uh, I watch Underground, I'm trying to think what's coming. I do have a, some shows that are ready to record, and I'm trying to remember what's coming up you know, that uh, I'd be really excited in. But I love Stranger Things. Um, it was very, you know, it was a little, like, a little too many... Uh, you know, der- derivative stuff where it's check marks and all stuff from our childhood, but yeah, it was very eighties. Yeah, but your first, uh, you know, for the first season, you got to be, you got to grab your audience. So, yeah, I think they'll be a little freer next time, you know, to trust that we're going to like their story. And I loved it, so I'm looking forward to more. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm kind of a binge watcher, so I usually wait for. Uh, for and you've got. Coming out, right? I do, yeah. Um, I I have my final draft done, so um, got to get the other Tom, Tom Boatwright, to uh, work on the cover because he makes me the most beautiful covers. Yeah, they are nice. And uh, yeah, and then book three will be out. All right. Um, that's good. So, where can people find you and get your announcements and stuff? Oh well, uh, as you know, I'm on Twitter as Thomas Pluck. Um, my website's thomaspluck.com, which yeah, and uh, Bad Boy Boogie is available in in bookstores, you know, online, you know, Amazon, the usual places. Um, and I will be doing a few uh, readings and signings coming up in the New York, New Jersey area. Uh, Nor at the bar in New York on the second. I mean, there, this is you can find this all on my website under events. So I don't expect you to you know to remember it from a podcast really quickly, but there'll be signings in both New York and New Jersey. I'm heading out to California. Thank goodness for frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Doing bar at the bar LA with our, our mutual friend Dwayne Swarzynski. So that's gonna be awesome. I, I you know love Dwayne. I've never read with him before. So hopefully I won't go right after him. <laughs> yeah. Well it'll be fun. I guarantee you Definitely. it'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, hitting a few other crime cons this year. Thankfully uh been slugging at it for five years now and uh, my name's gotten around and I'll be at VoucherCon in Toronto and Murder and Mayhem in Milwaukee in November and cannot wait. Oh, is that the one where they do like the crime academy thing? Like there was one, I think that was it, where I was reading where there's an actual uh, guy with like, uh, I'm not sure if he's specifically only a writer or what it was, but he he actually teaches writers about police procedure. Oh, there might be. This is my first time going to that one, so we'll see. But I, there's a, I know there are a few crime writers who are, who are ex-police and could definitely tell you. Yeah, it was. I mean, it might be like a different event or something, but I think that's you know it's probably tied to that or something. Um, hmm. Sounds really cool. Um, I don't know if I'll, I mean I might get to Deadly Ink again. Um, I'm trying to, to hear back from them. I, I'd, I'd like to go just as a, a reader uh, as well, but I'm trying to see if I can get on a panel for that in June, and hopefully, so okay. I mean, hopefully we'll see you there. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, yeah, so, but that's, you know, that's good. So to follow on, on Twitter and website and stuff, um, Bad Boy Boogie is the name of the book once again. Um, it's getting glowing reviews, like I said, as it deserves. And so. yeah, absolutely. So if you have any questions, you can, you know, track both of us down and we will direct you to the place to get the answer. And um, wonderful. I can't wait for your uh, hipster bar book because that sounds <laughs> like fun. 
And Great. Yeah, well, then I'll definitely make sure I get to edits tonight. Just <laughs> put it off. Yeah, no putting it off. No putting it off. I mean, I I busted my butt so that I could watch um, the new Grace and Frankie season. <laughs> yeah. I uh, that was my reward for finishing my my final draft. Very um, nice. Yeah. Yes, Sarah. Says, I haven't watched uh, the season, but I've caught episodes, and I love Lily Tomlin. And, yes. Yeah. So. She's great. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. So um, I will let you go then because I do not want to come between you and your work. You can, you guys can follow me. What was that? So thank you so much for having me here. It's been great to talk to you again. It's been too long. It has. It has. So, um, yeah, so guys, follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber because even though it's been really political of late, I do uh, still talk about books and comics and, and stuff like that and nerdy things and um you know fundraisers and i try to you know make sure i mention other people's patreons make make sure i mention uh, charities that need you know some attention so uh so that's at elizabeth amber everything else is at amberunmasked.com and you can sponsor the show at patreon.com slash amberunmasked so have a good one tom you too